Lord God, we just come before you, and Lord, we seek you in this time. We pray that your word would enlighten our hearts and bring us joy. God, I pray today that we might find ourselves overwhelmed, not by the words, any words that I would speak, but Lord God, by the truth which is ready to be declared. We pray, Lord God, that your word in us and that our hearts would be open, Lord, to what we find. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, as we come in, just a reminder, we're in the book of Mark, chapter 1. We're going to be continuing our slow adventure through the book of Mark. Starting today, we're going to be in verse 21. But before we get there, let me just remind all of us how much kids love to be astonished and how much kids love to be astounded. One of the things about being a parent or even just a teacher or somebody who has ever worked or been in the same space as a child is you know how much they love to have that sense of awe renewed in them. Kids have an amazing ability to be constantly reminded about the wonders of the world. We adults often struggle with the same Thing. We may marvel at the beauty of a sunset, but rarely do we exclaim so. Right? Kids, on the other hand, can see something that we would consider to be nothing and be so excited about it. I was reminded about that this week as my son was playing Minecraft and was very excited about an inventory full of rock. Now, if you don't know anything about Minecraft, that's fine. But an inventory full of rock is not a hard thing to get. It's part of the game. Church kids love to be astonished, and I would like to bring you back to a moment in your own life. Think about it when you found yourself astonished or overwhelmed and the joy that came along with that. That is where we need to be as we come into the Word today. We are again in Mark. Chapter 1, starting in verse 21. I want to read this for us. It says, starting in verse 21, They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now, church, let's just bring back to the idea that you and I are meant to be awed. 
You and I are meant to be astonished. The trouble is we so often are not. Not by beautiful sunsets and beautiful scenes and, dare I say, not by the teaching of Jesus Christ. We are all, all of us, meant to experience astonishment and wonder at the word of God, at the teaching of Jesus, sometimes through the teaching of someone like myself in a formal setting, other times through the teaching in Sunday school, and other times through just being in the word by ourselves and coming across something that either we've never come across before or having something we know very well hit us in our heads, in our hearts, in a way that we never could have understood before. Jesus astonished the audience on this day, and the audience wasn't the only ones astonished. What I want to do today as we come into this word is do my best, which is going to require you all to do your best to put our collectiveness together today into the room with these people and with Jesus. Now, there's a precedent for that in our passage. It's a very interesting one that you wouldn't notice unless you are a student of Greek or have read a book by a student of Greek like I did. Verse 21, starting the very beginning, and they went into Capernaum. That's what my English Bible reads. It is what every English Bible reads, give or take a word. But when it says they went into Capernaum, the actual Greek there is, and they come into Capernaum. It's in the present tense. It's really interesting because this happened before Mark wrote about it, and yet when Mark writes about it, he writes about it like it's happening right now. And I believe, and I think we should together, that this is an invitation for all of us to gather together in the synagogue on this day. For those of us who are Christians, and if we've been Christians a long time, we say, well, I've heard the word before. I've read this a million times before. It's an invitation to gather together anew with those who experienced it in the moment. And for those of you who may not be Christians yet, it's an invitation for you to experience something all the new. Jesus in the room astonishing those around. Church, these are not just words on a page. So often we read our Bibles, and, and what happens because we do so, so often, I hope, is that they become words on a page. But remember, there are people tied to these words. There are people who experience this. It's not just the story that Mark made up and is telling, but these are the things that actually happened. And so we want to get into the room with them, that we might experience Jesus and be astonished together today. We're going to do, we're going to look at two things. The first is what means that Jesus is teaching with authority. The second thing we're going to do is look and see what's happening as Jesus casts out this demon. So we start in verse 21 and 22. Let me read this again. It says, and They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. 
those of you who are taking notes, we're going to look really carefully at three words in this. The first is the word scribes, because we want to understand what's being said here. And what you should know about the scribes is that they were the ones who usually taught. They were the ones who normally were in the pulpit. Or in that setting, they were sitting down typically, uh, teaching to a group of people. The way that these scribes would typically teach is to constantly quote those who were influential and smarter and more well-known and who had come before them. Not like how you might hear me do so, I expect, on a Sunday when using a good quote that is well said and perfect to the point from a book or a sermon that makes that point perfectly. No, they would string together quote after quote. The only thing that they would create in their teaching would be the outline or the flow of quotes used. It would be much like sitting in a courtroom, hearing a lawyer speak one precedent after another, after another, in as formal of language as possible to prove a point, but never sharing their own opinion. The reality is that many of these scribes often did not know what they were speaking on. They had no permission to add their own thoughts or opinions into the teaching. The reality is when you look at it, the teaching, the material they were working through was beyond them. It was beyond them. Now, before we judge them too harshly, I fear this is actually one of the reasons we so often struggle to share our faith. Because we too believe the material in front of us is beyond us. We believe that as we speak the truth about Jesus, there's going to be somebody around us who's going to ask questions that we don't know the answer to, that we're going to run out of quotes from famous people that are quippy and nice and work really well to prove our point. And we don't believe we're smart enough or knowledgeable enough to share the, the material is beyond us. And honestly, sometimes that's true. The trouble is, is... We don't need to share material that is beyond us if we are sharing our relationship with Jesus with people. There's a lot of times we fear that we'll get asked a question that we don't know the answer to. And I'll guarantee you, if you spend much time answering and talking to people about your faith and sharing about Jesus, you will get questions you don't know the answer to. Almost every time I share my faith with someone, whether in church or outside of the church, I don't know the answers to questions. Here's the interesting thing about that. When you're having a normal conversation with normal people about normal things and you don't know the answer to something, what do you usually say? You say, I don't know. And what usually happens at that point? The conversation goes somewhere else, right? The other day I was at Walmart in the fishing aisle. And while I was there, two different people asked me questions about local fishing. Now, I've been fishing a handful of times since we moved here. I know a few things. I don't know very much. So I was able in my own way to say, you know, well, this is what I found at this, this lake or this is what I found at this spot. And they would ask a question. I'd say, honestly, I just don't know. And it was interesting. They didn't press me on it. They didn't force me to then answer something. They didn't say, well, if you really knew, 
No, they just moved on. Church, the scribes were speaking about stuff that they didn't know. And they were too uncomfortable to share or to go down roads to those areas that they did know. We need to be ready to share what we know. Not what we've heard. Not what we've read through that source and that source and that source or that sermon or that preacher. We need to be ready to share what we know. And this is the difference as we come into the difference between Jesus' teaching and the teaching of the scribes. Second word we want to look at is the word here, astonished. The word astonished. It said this, verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching. Now the word here, astonished, is kind of the mild form of what this means. If you really get to the heart, it means it means to be overwhelmed. It means to, to have encountered something that, that has begun to change thinking and mind and, and heart. They are astonished. They are overwhelmed. Another way to think about this is to be knocked out of their wits because they've never encountered anything like this. They've never encountered any time when a teacher was willing to just teach without quoting person after person and, and tradition after tradition after tradition. Church, Jesus' teaching startled them. It shocked them. It woke them up. This is the idea here when it says that they were astonished. They were. Now, I will tell you, I can remember the first time that this ever happened to me. I can remember it so well. The first time that, that upon hearing the word and hearing and being astonished and overwhelmed and literally knocked out of my wits, it was the night I came to Jesus. It's the first time. Not that our faith is not intelligible, right? To be knocked out of your wits in this way is not to, that our faith doesn't make sense or doesn't have behind it. But all of that stuff ceases to matter for a little while because we're just overwhelmed by the truth in front of us. It was the gospel preached that Jesus Christ had died for my sins. It was the weight of my personal sin that would lead Jesus to the cross. All of that overwhelmed me in such a way that I came Christ. Let me just tell you, every one of us should have a moment like that where we were overwhelmed, knocked out of our wits and straight into the loving arms of Jesus. Now, when it tells us in our passage that they were astonished, it does not mean that they all immediately came to faith. Okay, some of them undoubtedly did, but we actually know from a passage in Matthew chapter 11 that Capernaum largely and by and far large did not come to faith but rejected Jesus over and over again but they were astonished and overwhelmed by this teacher in front of them and it tells us why and that's a third word we're going to look at and that is the word authority it says this and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. We look at this, what we need to know is, is that Jesus is teaching out of his place, right? In his place. He's teaching out of what he knows, what he's intimate with, his place. He's speaking his word 
about his kingdom as the king. Right? He's speaking in such a way that, that he knows what he's talking about. He's the expert on it. It is his entire life. It is his entire being. Now we can tell the difference when someone is speaking about something they're an expert on as opposed to the person who knows just enough to get by. Right? We can tell the difference when someone is speaking out of first-hand intimate experience versus someone who simply heard through others. Jesus is speaking out of his authority, his home. Because he is at home with what he is saying and what he is teaching. And that's the difference to the scribes. They weren't at home with what they were teaching. They were teaching somebody else's ideas and somebody else's material. But Jesus, he's teaching his word about his kingdom as the king. And what happens? What happens? They're astonished. They're overwhelmed. They're blown away. They are knocked out of their wits. And let me tell you, church, we all should be having these moments. We all, all of us, should be having moments where, upon the Word of God, for ourselves, or hearing it preached, or hearing it taught by a friend over coffee, or a sermon online, or some encounter that we have with it, we should too be overwhelmed by the Word of God. Every one of us should have an experience like that. Now let me tell you, it probably won't be every day. That would be exhausting. But what happens is, is we have those moments. We have moments where, where we read afresh the Word of God and it opens up our heart and our lives, opens up our love for God, and we realize how much He loves us. And we have one of those when we first come to Jesus. But we should have more of them as we are continuing along the way with Him. I have a pastor friend whose devotional life I, just, I think is really good. You know, some of us in our devotional life, we get really rigid. Uh, we set out to reading plans, which are great. I, I do a reading plan almost, almost every year. Whether it's reading the whole Bible in a year, reading the Old Testament a year, New Testament a year, or just I'm going to study this one book all year. You, you just set your mind to it and your discipline to it. If you've never done anything like that, I would just tell you, you should. We'll talk about that again in a few months as we come into the new year. But what my friend does is he reads his Bible every day until the Lord speaks to him. Now, some days that's one verse, right? He, just op he opens it up to where he left off the day before, and he reads one verse and is overwhelmed by the truth that, that comes, or, or he's maybe not overwhelmed, but it's speaking to him about who he needs to be and what he is and, and who Christ is. And he has a mo moment of that. Other times he reads an entire book of the Bible before that happens. And it's not one verse, but it's the impact that an entire section of Scripture makes on his life. Here's the point. Are we reading our Bibles in such a way that we are affected 
by them? Or are we reading them and checking off the day? If we are never, or if we are rarely overwhelmed by Jesus' teaching, then I think there's one of a few things going on. The first is that we are not in his teaching enough. For some of us, this is the case. We're just not in his teaching enough, right? The only place we get fed is Sunday morning. Let me ask you this. If you went through your week eating one meal a week, would you have enough sustenance to make it through the other six days? Some of us, we need to be in the teaching, in the word more. Sunday morning, Sunday school, daily reading, during our lunch breaks, taking time with friends during the week to sit down and just read the word together. Just be in the word together with no other agenda, but hey, let's look at the word of God with spouses, with kids, with family. Some of us, we need to be in the teaching more. Because here's what happens. It builds. It builds. Right? This piece connects with this piece, connects with this piece. And suddenly a bunch of things that didn't make any effect on us make a huge effect on us. And we're meant to be in the Word enough that we are being changed by it. Not daily, weekly, monthly. That's one thing that might be going on if you find yourself not or very rarely overwhelmed by Jesus' teaching. The second thing is that we may not want to hear what he's teaching. We may not want to hear what he's teaching. Church, it's hitting too close to home. It's getting into that part of our heart, right, that we don't really want to get into, and we know it. And so we do the same thing we do when somebody in our lives is getting too close to us. Most of us, we run away. The third thing that may be happening if we're not being overwhelmed by his word is that we don't believe we've given Jesus the authority to speak on that thing he's speaking on to us. Now, let me be really clear. Jesus has the authority to speak on that in your life. Whether you're a Christian or not, he has the authority. It is his. But we do this. We do this when, when the truth starts poking at our politics. We do this when the truth, the word of God, starts poking at our pocketbooks and our wallets. We do this when the truth of God starts poking at our life goals and our plans and our hopes. Let me be really clear. Jesus has the authority to speak into all those moments in your life, especially if you're a Christian. Church, we need to be a people who are overwhelmed by the word of God. We need to be. We need to be. You look at this day, you look at this synagogue, you put yourself back into this room with the, the gathered synagogue, and they're experiencing astonishment over Jesus. And the amazing thing is that that seems to include everyone in the room, including a demon. And what we see in this moment is the authority of Jesus being confirmed in his power. Now we're going to come back around to that. First, let us just imagine this room. 
right? Maybe it's a, a room this big and maybe it's totally full of people. And suddenly from the back corner or maybe from the front, there is a shout out. There is someone who is yelling. It is interrupting the teaching and everyone in the room, and you've all been there at a moment like this, is uncomfortable. Who is that guy? What's he saying? What's he doing? Nobody quite knows what's going on. This guy yells out. It disturbs everything. It distracts everything. Now, demon possession is rarely mentioned in the Old Testament. It's only one or two encounters that we have with that. As you work your way through the New Testament in the four Gospels, you see it all over the place, particularly in the book of Mark. You see it working through the book of Acts, and you see a few bits and pieces of it as you walk through some of the letters. For some of us, we are sitting here, you're sitting here going, all right, the Bible talks about demons, but saying, yes, but it wasn't really demons. Well, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm one who trusts the word of God and, and trusts what it says. And I think when the Bible talks about demons, it's talking about demons. It's not talking about mental illness. It's not talking about schizophrenia. It's not talking about any number of things. The Bible talks about a demon. It's a demon. And for some of us, we need to come grips with that. If you don't, you're going to have difficulty over the next year as we work through the book of Mark, because we see it next week, we're going to be talking about it again. Now, what we don't know, because Mark doesn't give us anything we want to know, right? You and I, we want more details, and Mark just sort of glosses over stuff constantly. We don't know the story, or we don't know if this is the first time this demon-possessed guy has ever been in the synagogue, or if he's been there every Sabbath for 30 years. Now, I'm inclined to believe that this is likely a Jewish man in a Jewish city in a Jewish region. Chances are this is where he is every Sabbath. Chances are this man possessed by a demon has been hearing the teaching of scribes for years, and it's never made the demon inside him uncomfortable enough to speak up. And we see that in our passage, right? Everybody's astonished about Jesus. There's something different about him. And clearly when Jesus comes on the scene, the demons start behaving differently than they had been before. I think that's why we see them so active in the Gospels is because the king has arrived and they were used to being in charge, but they're not really in charge anymore. And so we get stories like the one we have today. You can picture this guy. If we're in this room, you can hear the disturbance. And it's unnerving. The reality is that this demon has gotten himself uncomfortable. He's as astonished as everybody else is. Suddenly, he's in the presence of God, and things are shaking up. Now, I want to tell you, I've been in this situation before. Some of you say, yeah, absolutely, we've been in this situation before too. A couple of years ago in Lahana, we had a woman who would easily fit into this biblical story. She was a sporadic attender, but she would come for three or four weeks in a row, and then she'd disappear, and she'd come for three or four weeks in a row. Whenever she came, she was a huge distraction and a huge disturbance. On this particular Sunday, while Pastor Scott, our second elder, was preaching, I could tell um, that the 
noise coming from where she was sitting was becoming a greater and greater distraction. Sometimes it was shout outs at Scott who was preaching and sometimes it was just talking loudly to her neighbor. And I remember sitting in the pew and I'm praying, Lord, let Scott not be distracted. He was pretty easy to distract. Let the church not be distracted by this. All the while knowing that in a small church, if I got up and went and addressed it, it would create a massive distraction on its own. And so there I am in my pew and I, and I pray and I think, Lord, if this disturbance is being caused by a demon, let it not continue. Let that demon be silent for the rest of the service. I kid you not, in that moment, there was utter silence from that side of the room. And there was for the next 30 minutes. I said, wow. Right? That week we prayed as we came in. All week we prayed for that, that individual. That next week we prayed before church. Our team prayed and we said, Lord, let there not be a demon to distract the service today. And a few minutes later, she wandered into church. And a few of our people welcomed her and greeted her and talked with her. In a few minutes, she wandered out of church and she never came back. Now, I'd love to tell you I'd love to tell you that she got delivered from it. We prayed for her. We pursued her. We went looking for her that week. We couldn't find her. We never got the chance to see this woman delivered from her demon. But I will tell you, Jesus had the chance to deliver this man from this demon. Look at these verses. And it says, verse 24, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. Verse 26, and the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. Church, this demon encountered Jesus in a moment. You guarantee he didn't expect it. Think about this. This is the first demon that gets exercised by Jesus that we know of. Right here he is. He's doing his demon thing. He's messing with someone's life. He's destroying this person's life. He thinks he's in a secure place. He walks into synagogue with the same way he has for maybe years. And who does he encounter? Jesus. He encounters the Holy One of God. Think about James 2, verse 19. James writes, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. This demon encounters God in the synagogue, and he's never done that before. Now, that puts you a pretty, a pretty mark of, of status on the, the situation at that synagogue right like this demon had never encountered before but here he encounters God and he not only shudders but he cries out he yells out now I was just thinking about this a couple weeks ago we read through the temptation of Jesus and in Mark we know that story is pretty well abbreviated but what we know is that just a little while before this Jesus faced the temptations King Jesus proved himself against the devil. He defeated him with a few simple words and the confidence of who he was and who he is. 
And then you think about this demon in this room, realizing that his boss just got defeated by this Jesus, and he's shuddering. Now, the demon speaks up. He throws Jesus' identity at him. Most scholars believe that the reason he does this is to attempt to appease him. And so first he says, you are Jesus of Nazareth, his human name, the the most obvious. The, The demon speaks about who he is. Then when that does nothing, he identifies him as the Holy One of God, as if to say to him, I know who you are, just leave me alone. Of course, it does him no good. In fact, it likely does him far worse. One of the things that we'll see as we look through our passage next week is this great concept that is referred to by Bible scholars as uh, the messianic secret. Jesus is in a phase of his ministry where he doesn't want people to know who he is yet. He doesn't want to be identified publicly yet. And what happens in this moment is this demon is identifying him publicly and telling everybody exactly who he is. So this demon has gotten it all wrong. And of course, in response, Jesus tells him to be silent. Verse 26 or verse 25, Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. Now the literal of this be silent in our English Bible would actually be a better phrase to be muzzled. Be muzzled. Right? It's not about being silent. It's about having no control. Many of you have met our big old husky dog, Bo. Sweet dog. Everybody thinks he's a sweet dog. He comes, he just wants love. And then you go to the vet with him. I don't know what happened to Bo before he was ours, but he knows what veterinarians are. He knows that vet techs and Vets, what they do is they poke and they prod and they jab needles in. And so Bo, as soon as he's around a vet tech, goes from being a sweet dog to a bitey dog. The last vet we went to told us we weren't allowed to bring him unless we had given him uh, a sedative, tranquilizer, before we brought him. So to this demon, Jesus says, be muzzled. Be muzzled. He takes away his power and speaks. Now, the interesting thing in this, in the colloquial of of, uh, Israel at the time, this phrase, be muzzled, really meant, and part of this, if, if you're offended by this, Jesus is telling the demon to shut up. That's, that's what this phrase means. It's rude. Jesus has no respect for the demon. Why? Because he doesn't deserve it. And he says, shut up to this demon. Which explains why after Jesus says, be silent, what we read in our Bibles, uh, the demon is anything but silent. It actually tells us that he cries out in a loud voice. But it's a loud voice with no bite. Because he's muzzled. It's powerless. This is what Jesus has done. Now, as all of this is happening, remember, this is not just a room with Jesus and a a demon-possessed man in it. This is a room full of people. There's a crowd and they're watching this happen. And and as a result, the scripture tells us they're all the more amazed. Verse 27, they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. 
See, the crowd has gotten this. They're looking at what's happening. They're saying, wow, this Jesus was teaching with an authority we've never experienced before. They're already overwhelmed. They're already not getting knocked out of their wits. And then this whole thing with the demon happens. And now they're going, not only does he teach with authority, but he has the authority and the power to cast out a demon, and the demon listens. Proof that in the first place he had had the authority to teach the way he was. So Jesus has the authority to wow. He has the authority to amaze us. He has the authority to overwhelm us. They say in verse 27, a new teaching with authority. Now, the teaching itself wasn't new, right? He's just teaching out of Scripture, out of the Old Testament, when he speaks that day and he teaches them. What's new is how it's all happening. What's new is what's happening in their own heads, in their own hearts, as they've gone from from maybe what was perceived as a dead word to a living word. That moment that you and I have as Christians when we went from death to life. It's new to us, even though it's been around a long time. Their response is, this is a new word. They've never heard anything like this before. Church, again, we should be a people who, as we read the word of God, see it all the more new whether we've read that passage a hundred times or one time, we should be overwhelmed by the teaching, by the authority that Christ has as we realize that what he's saying is not just to the person next to us in the pew, it's to us. You know, not just to our spouse, but to us as we do our devotions. Not just to the neighbor, but to us, right? There's an authority Let me ask you this. Have you given Jesus the authority to speak, to teach you? Have you experienced Jesus' authority and power to save you? For most of us, I pray for all of us, but I know it's hopefully most of us, What we experienced first was his saving power, and as a result, we've been willing to let his authority speak into us. That is what we do as Christians. We get saved by his power, and his authority washes over us and makes us new. As he teaches us, as he overwhelms us, our old self becomes new. Let me tell you, if he has saved you, then there is no excuse you can make for not giving him all the authority in your life. He already has it. But he wants us to invite him in that. He wants us to say, Jesus, have your way with me. For some of us here today, we might be sitting here and we know, number one, we've never been overwhelmed. And we know the word. We know what Jesus taught. We like the idea of Jesus, but it's never overwhelmed our souls, our hearts, or our heads. If that's you today, and you're sitting here today, and you're saying, you know what? Been around a long time. I know all this, but I've never really experienced what that means. Church, here's the reality. Jesus taught 
and the people were overwhelmed. That is what we should be. If you've never given your life to Jesus, today's the day. I pray that you might find yourself overwhelmed, not again by my words, not by the things that I would say, but by the truth of the scriptures proclaimed, the word of God, which always has its way in us. If that's you, I'd invite you to come speak with me or someone else here in the room that loves Jesus. Before you leave here today, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. Church, as we continue in our time today, as we go through our lives, my prayer for us as a church is that we would be overwhelmed by the word of God, by the truth that would speak to us, by Jesus' authority in us, over us. Amen? God, we thank you and praise you for your, your word. We thank you and praise you for what you've done. God, and we pray that every one of us would know your salvation. We'd know what it means. God, that you have spoken and that we are overwhelmed. I pray, God, that our hearts and minds would go from this place as we go later today. God, in, in full love of who you are, Lord, that we would know how much you love us. God, overwhelm us today. Rescue us today and help us to love you. I pray also in the name of Jesus. Amen.